Thanks for that, Henry. Hello. Hello. Echo, echo. Yeah, it's an honor to spend time in the Word together. And every Sunday, it's just a, it's an opportunity to know the Lord and get closer to this magnificent God that we serve. And you may have heard it come in the previous preaches. We've been spending a lot of time in 2 Peter 1, um, unpacking the knowing. You know, you have been given all things to life and godliness, pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of our Lord. And I think we can get better handles on life. We can get better handles on our purpose when we come into a closer, more intimate relationship with the living God. Amen. So I'm not going to go into an expounded preach on that subject. It has been a theme you've been seeing through, through the eldership, but there is quite a bit of, of weight on it and significance on it. And I trust that all of you have spent time in that scripture, 2 Peter 1. It's uh, powerful. There's, there's much. I mean, I know you guys have been here for the past few weeks, but it is a very powerful scripture. Um, yeah, this morning I'm actually going to speak about the glory. The glory that's been on the church, the glory that's on the church, and just unpacking what is the glory of God. It's, 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 it's many different things in many different people's minds, and I, and I want us to just get a hold of what the glory of God is in his mind. But before that, I just want to share a prophetic word the Lord gave me in preparation, um, not even actually in preparation to this preach a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm just somebody who's really passionate about the church. It's, just, it's awe and a wonder that God would choose the church as his chosen vessel to represent himself with. Of, <laughs> of all the ways and means, you know, he chose you and I, just normal, simple people. He chose you and I to, to reflect the glory of God and to represent Christ to an unsaved world. And so I asked the Lord, um, I said, who is, who is the church to be? Actually, you were praying around that line. You said, Lord, de- define for us who you are, what, who you want us to be. Um, and he spoke these words to me. He said, my, my church is my bride, my chosen vessel of truth. The church is my reward for what I have endured. It is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Notice, notice the language he's using here. He's using this, this bridal, marital language. I mean, how many of us would consider themselves married to the Lord? I mean, forget about gender. Just raise your hand if you've, you consider yourself married to the Lord. Okay, I see that in. I know it's many of us. We, we are one with him. That, that is the picture of marriage. You know, we are one flesh with our, with our spouse. We are one spirit with him. So he uses this bridal speech um, to explain himself. So he says, so the church is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The church is chosen to represent me, my heart, my love, and my authority. And we've seen how the authority of God has been on the church in seasons over generations. But if you look at the church now, would you say all of God's power and might is displayed through the church? Not so much. We are walking in a measure of authority, but there is greater measure coming to us. And that's something that we all need to prepare our hearts and lives for. So then I asked specifically about Durbanville. I said, I said, Lord, how are we, Durbanville, best representing you? And how are we not representing you? He said, Durbanville best represents me as a community of believers, living stones that are showcasing my multifaceted body. So this just, this just shows God, he's complimenting us. He sees this tight-knit community. He sees very diverse people coming together, 
serving one another, loving one another, putting other people's needs before their own. I mean, I see this happen every week. It's happening in the church. I don't know if you've noticed it, but the way people serve one each other and lay down their lives for one another is phenomenal. And they do this because of the love of God that exists within them. And he mentions words like living stones. Living stones are the walls that build up the temple. When God speaks of living stones in Scripture, it's living stones that build up the temple, which is the dwelling place of God. So you're all living stones, part of this temple. You're a part of God's dwelling place. So I feel like God just like, you know, encouraging and affirming us as a congregation. And then I said, well, Lord, how do we not represent you? You know, the Lord always encourages and affirms, and then he also gives a, gives a tweak. and gives us something to grow into. And... Um, I don't, I don't like saying confrontational things. I'm not a confrontational guy. My wife would probably disagree with that. But, um, yeah, so I'll cut to the chase. He, he, said, he said we are consumers. So what he's saying is that the spirit of the world has come into the church, not just Durbanville, but even churches at large. The spirit of this world has captured our eyes, captured our minds, captured the things that we love. And there's very much... a a culture in this world of just consuming things. Um, it's, it's something that I believe he is addressing in this hour. And, you know, if you look at how we're preoccupied with just media, with buying clothes, buying food, consuming, consuming food, consuming entertainment, um, furniture, you know, like I've got, I'm talking to myself here. I've got Facebook Marketplace. There's just cool deals all the time. Gumtree, there's cool deals, even stuff you don't need. You know, um, my wife brought home an amazing couch the other day. I didn't know we needed a couch, but hey, we got a couch because there was this deal. And, and it's like, you know, consuming things, it actually gives you that feeling of short-term gratification. Um, it, it does. It, it, retail therapy, it does work. If you're upset and you're feeling down, you go to the mall, you get a Starbucks, lots of caffeine, lots of sugar, you feel good, you buy some pants, you look good. You, you're improved. <laughs> you're, in a, you're in an improved state. I get it. Um, but then even in a couple of hours, that void can come back, or the emptiness can come back, or the next day, that same feeling of loneliness, or whatever it is. And so we, we go in through that cycle of just consuming to keep filling this void. And I believe God is wanting to get into that space where He is meant to dwell. Um, I wonder if we could pull up the scripture, yeah, I said being consumers is actually stunting our growth and diluting our authority as a church as well. And we end up drawing strength from things and these experiences instead of drawing strength from God. Um, I'm not saying you can't have things, but things mustn't have you and have your heart continually and in, in, in preoccupying your thoughts continually. Can we pull up 1 John 2, 15? It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father is not in him. Okay, so this could be confusing for some people because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. But now he's saying, um, do not love the world. What he's talking about is this world system. The, the desire for power, for control, greed, acquiring, consuming. That, that is the spirit of this world. Don't love that thing, the Lord is saying. So we're meant to be in the world, but not of the world, Right? Being of the world does not bring him glory in any way. We put up Psalm 131, verse 1 through 3. 
says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and I have quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So you have the power to control the desires of your soul. David did it. David did it without the Spirit of God dwelling in with him. He recognized that he could get into a state of being overwhelmed by too many things. I mean, I, I, I don't drive a Ferrari because I know it's too marvelous for me. I would wrap myself around a lamppost or something. You know, and there are things that are, I would say, lawful and not sinful, but it doesn't mean they're good. You know, binging on a series for eight hours is not, is not good. You can do it. Yes, you can do it. You can buy clothes all day, all night, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> there's a bigger picture that God is trying to highlight. And he doesn't want us to be dominated by things. So it's interesting he uses this weaned child, you know, um, analogy. An unweaned person draws strength from their soul, from their natural desires. But a mature person, a weaned person, draws strength from the Spirit of God. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6. It says, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So we need to ask ourselves, take stock sometimes. What, what, what things are dominating me? Sin may be dominating you. Okay, that's a biggie. But there are other subtle things that creep in that actually dominate you and capture your attention, even your imagination, and capture your desires. God is a jealous God. We know he's wanting to come and interrupt that space. So you've got to fight for these things. You know, they say if you, if you love something, you'll fight for it. If you love the Lord, you're going to fight for your relationship with him. You know, at the men's conference, they talked about it's very easy to be male. It's probably very easy to be a female. I wouldn't know. But it's not easy to be a man and a woman of God. You have to fight for it. The world wants to take you out of that place. The world doesn't want you to be godly, significant person in this generation. He wants to squash, he wants to squash that fire. So our lives are, always to, are meant to reflect the glory of God. And um, this is the main body of the preach. It's just unpacking what exactly is the glory of God. I said that the word gets used um, quite loosely. If you go to my in-law's house, my mother, my mother-in-law, <laughs> hurts her finger or stubs her toe, the first thing out of her mouth is, glory! You know, better, rather that than other words. But, but the glory is many things. So it's, it's the presence of God. We, hear, we see in Scripture where the glory of God just filled the temple. You know, the priests and the ministers, they couldn't, even, they couldn't even minister anymore because of the glory of God was so great. You know, we sing songs about it. We will give you glory. We will give you praise. You know? So we, it, it's two things. It, it is a noun, the glory of God, and it's also a verb. You know, our lives reflect the glory of God. We give him glory. And what's interesting is what the glory of God is to the Father. If you, being a father, the glory of the Father is actually the children. Um, I gloried in my, my son. I'm going to pick on him now. He's sitting at the back. Um, he, we, we, he was in a national tournament for underwater hockey. For those of you who didn't know, it was a sport. It's actually a sport. For those who can hold their breath a very long time. Anyway, so it was a national championship. Teams from all over the country were there. And just hold on, I'm really thirsty. And um, 
they, they played many different, probably about nine matches, hey? And um, the last match was against the toughest team from Gauteng, and it was 1-1, and it went into triple overtime. It was just overtime after overtime, like, we're going to be here all night, or the guys are going to drown us. Oh, you know, when is this thing going to end? And Joshua was there, and he actually scored the winning goal, and they won the tournament. It was like, ah, you know? And so in that moment, the glory of the Father was the Son. And the glory of the Father is Jesus Christ. And he wants our lives to reflect his glory in many ways. Even the definition of the word, I just want to, I googled it. It means to be highly renowned or, or honor won by notable achievements. And the most notable achievements known to man is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And so earlier in my, my salvation, I was always captivated with, with the, the glory of God. The glory of God, the power of God, the authority uh, that God has displayed throughout generations. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the, the Old Testament examples from, from Moses to Elijah calling down fire from heaven. But I, but I knew that God was going to do something significant in our generation. His name was, was great, and his, gra- his name was feared for generations. And in this generation, it's almost like as if he's a, he's a weak God, or he's, you know, insignificant. I mean, people trembled at his name. So where is that God? Where is that God of might and power, of glory? And I was also captivated at what God did in the early church, in the New Testament. We see displays of glory um, and mighty moves of God throughout the generations. If you look at the early 1900s, there was this um, healing revival that took place. You know, people like Smith Wigglesworth and, and Catherine Kuhlman and Charles Finney and, and you know, the, all the names. Um, radical healings. People just healed in their thousands. People with cerebral palsy, death, you know, just cripples. I mean, just... It was normal to see mighty signs and wonders. And after that move of God, we see there was a big Jesus movement in the 60s. And in the 70s and 80s, it was, it was salvation. Salvation was the next move of God. You Billy Graham, you know, there was just like people getting saved by the millions around the world. This was, this was the move of God. And then we see in the 80s and onwards, even to the year 2000, we saw moves of the Holy Spirit, gifts, tongues of fire, manifestations. I mean, there was like radical stuff happening in meetings. And I, and I got saved around this time where that was, seeing things like that was, was kind of normal. It was normal to go to a meeting and there was like 12 people healed by a word of knowledge or the presence of a God came down in a, in a phenomenal way. I mean, I've even been in meetings at a conference where the power of God just came and just hit like a thousand people, just fell over like dominoes and, and demons were coming out and people were getting healed. I've seen um, even my own stepmother healed under the power of God. She had a back surgery that was a disaster and her nerves were damaged and she couldn't walk for over two years. My dad did everything for her, nursed her, did all the shopping. And within one moment, she, she came to South Africa. We prayed for her there and she got healed. Within a moment, she was dancing. She was healed. That was 2005. She's still fine. God just supernaturally came. And there were a lot of other manifestations, laughter and joy. I mean, we saw, I don't know if you, some of you maybe experienced that, where, where just the spirit of joy would come into a meeting, and for an hour, people would just be on the floor laughing hysterically. People mocked it. What is this? This is not godly. This is not holy. But it was like just joy coming. God was just breaking that religiosity and professionalism that was in the church. We couldn't explain it, but God was, he was doing something. I've even seen in, in, in meetings where, in a prayer meeting, where the, the Shekinah glory, they would call it, or just the, the, 
the manifest presence of God came in where it was like a, a fog or a mist. It just came down. The air was so thick you, you could almost grab it. it. It was just a weighty presence. And all you can do is just, just fall underneath it and just, and just weep as you feel God just being so close to you and revealing himself in such a radical way. So this was, this was almost, uh, I, would say, I would say, normal uh, to see mighty moves of God like this. So I grew up, I just love the supernatural. I've always had an expectation for an increase in the supernatural happening in the generations to come. But it seems like the opposite is true. So where is the glory of God? What, what is the next move of God in this generation? It's as if God is not focused on those things. He's not, he's not focused on the gifts currently. The gifts were never meant to be a focus. The Son of God was always His focus. So times of refreshing, times of outpouring of the Spirit was greatly appreciated, but the refreshing isn't the focus. The Son was always the focus. The Son was always the glory of God. And, and a lot of churches got, got stuck there. If you look at Western culture and Christianity, I mean, they've made it. It's, it's about entertainment. It's about making a name for yourself. It's about fame, you know, fortune, um, you know, big ministries. They've taken their eye off of what God has his eye on. And um, many, many have drifted. Many ministries have drifted. And I think within Josh Jen, I always experienced just this wholehearted desire to be right in step with where God is. And so if God isn't focused on mighty moves and mighty exploits and, and, and gifts and all those things, I'm okay with that. <laughs> because I know his authority will come and his glory will come to the church once again when we are prepared and when we are ready for it. So what is the focus of God in this generation? What is the glorious God? It's as if God has a, has a laser pointer focusing at the sun, saying, this is my son in whom I will please listen to him. He's saying, is a relationship with the son of God enough for you? Church doesn't have to be about a lot of things, but if, if that's not enough for you, we, we're in trouble. So we've got to get to that place where he is enough. So... God's just taking the clutter out of ministry, out of church, and he's and he just, can we just let the main thing be the main thing? You have to know this God that you serve. All of us need to be able to hear his voice and apply it to our lives. That, that, that he, you know, otherwise we, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to make it. Really, I mean, this world is very wild at the moment. So the glory of God is the Father. The glory of God, the Father, is the Son. And the glory of the Son is the church. And where is, where is the Son now? Where is the Son now? He's in here. He's in us. Christ in you is the glory of God. The Son of God in a people is the thing that brings God the Father the most glory. There are many things that bring Him glory, but seeing the Son of God established in a people, that's what He came to establish. That should be enough for us. Can we pull up Colossians 1, verse 26? It says, The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. The glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if, if glory was a person, it would be hoping that Christ would be established in you. You know, it's interesting. God just showed me something in this scripture earlier. It's, 
The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations is now revealed. How is it now revealed? Because this is something that God knows, something that he knows. When he comes inside of you, you, you also know what he knows. Because we no longer are his slaves, we are his friends. And so God reveals mysteries to us because he's dwelling in us. So who exactly is this Christ that is dwelling in you? Who is this Jesus? It's said no better than in Colossians 1, 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, also says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of His being. Sustaining all things by His powerful word, after He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God the Father chose to represent Himself fully in Jesus Christ. There's one sentence I always just love saying, is, is Jesus Christ is God. Like people like really wonder, who, who is God? I was telling the story with Henry the other day. I was on the airplane, we were going to Joburg, and there was a whole bunch of uh, imams in the plane going to Joburg, um, Muslim priests. And I said, you know, what are you guys doing now? We're going for this conference because we, you know, we want to understand the, the mystery of God, this being. You know, no one's ever seen him. No one knows who he is. You know, no one is this, this God we worship. No one knows any, like, anything about him, really. And I was like, oh. I said, well, Jesus said, um, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen God. Jesus came to establish himself as a manifestation on God, of God on this earth. And so Christ is the exact representation of him. And God chose to represent him fully represent himself fully, and, and Jesus chose to represent him fully in us. That is, that is a massive, I mean, there's a lot of like lofty words and, and hectic, like this is God's eternal purpose for us, that the Son of God would be established in a people, and we would represent him to all mankind. God has a significant plan for his church. He says we're going to rule and reign with him. He's going to establish a new heavens and a new earth. That's a lot of authority. We're going to rule and reign and be seated with him over nations, over the new heavens and the new earth. So you can imagine a, a self-willed, immature person isn't going to be able to handle sitting on the throne with him. There is a maturing that we have to go through as a people. And we're it. There is no other vessel for God to redeem mankind with. There is no vessel for God to redeem this earth with. We are it. So it's a, it's a weighty call on our lives, and it's something that we shouldn't take lightly, and it's something that we should press into God and say, God, what do you want to do? With, uh, maybe there'll be other generations, but in my generation, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? How do I fit into this bigger picture? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to lay hold of? That should be the cry of our heart in, in asking those kind of questions. And I love the words of, of Jesus in John 20. He said, just as the Father has sent me, so send I you. How did the Father send Jesus? By divine representation, to be the divine representation of him. Jesus said that. He said that to the disciples, and he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. He said, go. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So God has charged us to, to run with that same call. It wasn't just, just for a couple of guys. We all meant to run with the charge that, that Jesus 
has called us with. Amen. Yeah, so just coming to land here, I really appreciate you guys' patience, enduring the heat and everything. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's a lot to take in, but I think we need to just be mindful where God is taking us. We can't just come to church on a Sunday and just, this is, this is my life. Christianity is just another lifestyle. No, Christ is our life. He's taking us on a journey. He's got phenomenal plans for us. He will glorify his name on the earth, and he's actually going to use us to establish that. Amen.